0: Now, for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10, Behind the Shield 10, for a one time purchase. Now, to learn more about Thorne, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Totoro and Wes Barnett. This episode is sponsored by Newcom, And as many of you know, I only bring sponsors onto this show whose products I truly swear by. Now we are an overworked and underslept population, especially those of us that wear uniform for a living. And trying to reclaim some of the lost rest and recovery is imperative. Now the application of this product is as simple as putting on headphones and a sleep mask. As you listen to music on each of the programs, there is neuroacoustic software beneath that is tapping into the actual frequencies of your brain, whether to upregulate your nervous system or downregulate. Now, for most of us that come off shift, we are A, exhausted, and B, do not want to bring what we've had to see and do back home to our loved ones. So, one powerful application is using the program Power Nap, a 20 minute session that will not only feel like you've had two hours of sleep, but also downregulate from a hypervigilant state back into the role of mother or father, husband or wife. Now, there are so many other applications and benefits from this software, so I urge you to go and listen to episode 806 with CEO Jim Poole. Then download NuCalm, N-U-C-A-L-M, from your app store and sign up for the seven-day free trial. Not only will you have an understanding of the origin story and the four decades this science has spanned, but also see for yourself the incredible health impact of this life-changing software. And you can find even more information on NewCalm.com. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back onto the show first responder strength and conditioning coach, the creator of RFT, and my friend, Derolk. Now in this second conversation, we discuss a host of topics from the importance of learning lessons from the pandemic and applying it to the health of the nation, cold water and resilience training in first responders, strength and conditioning ocean lifeguards, the iron neck, his work with 511 and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 850 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So that being said, I welcome back onto the show De Rolk. Enjoy. Well, Rolk, I want to start by firstly saying welcome to the brand new Behind the Shield podcast setup. I finally got away from my desk. <laughs> oh,
1: it looks so comfortable. <laughs> look at that! You got black the- look at the pillow. Is
0: that is that what is that? Is that a flag pillow? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the Hawaiian flag, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> love
0: it, bro! I love it. So uh, yeah, I mean, having been forced into more of the video stuff, I figured I'd move away from my little hunched over the desk and and uh, make it a little bit more comfortable. Um, but yeah, so I want to welcome you, mate. We did. I don't know how long ago it was now. Probably what four years ago that we talked last i think so uh yeah, yeah a lot has changed so welcome
1: All right we the first one was like six years like six years ago right after kizak's i think six years ago and then did we do one? did we do one after that for like another one after that like oh did we not it's been six years in mate
0: it has yeah we we you know as you know we were but we were just talking before we hit record how how busy even this year has been so i think we scheduled some and then it just fell off and it was like you know we, we know it's going to happen eventually and here we are, 2023, December. <laughs>
1: Dude, James, yeah, like guys, everyone that's listening, James is just an amazing human person. So, and and he's doing such a great job and great, and great stuff. So I'm proud of you, brother. I'm always so proud of you.
0: Likewise, mate. Likewise. Well, for everyone listening, where on planet Earth are we finding you this afternoon?
1: Uh, I am in Southern California right now, just uh, hanging out. I uh, had a Eventful morning. I was, uh, you know, I got have the new puppy, so you know that's always a challenge. And then uh, running around was in my garden, and then I somehow migrated a, a baby toad into my into my place, and I can't find a toad. So now I guess the toad's moved in. So it's it's uh, it's like <laughs> a kingdom in the house right now.
0: So six years, my goodness. So that means that we've been through all kinds of things, including the pandemic. Now I like to revisit this because. There are a lot of lessons that should have been pulled from those couple of years that I think a lot of people just swept under the rug. And under the underlying health of our men, women and children is a very important discussion, not only in the first responder professions where we need performance, but also just in longevity. And the middle of the road truth of COVID was whether you got vaccinated, whether you didn't, whatever it was the healthier you were, the the higher likelihood there was of a good outcome if you did get it, or if you even took the vaccine. So talk to me being in that, you know, strength and conditioning world, what the years kind of leading up to COVID were like for you, and then, and then what that experience was for you personally through your eyes.
1: You know, COVID was interesting. I mean, I think it clarified for a lot of people that, you know, Everything's a bit fragile, you know, and you have to be prepared to take care of yourself and not rely, be so reliant on other things. But um, prior to COVID, I know we were I was uh, when we first started doing the app and I was starting to work with Chris Hemsworth and we did center uh, and that was going well. And then in the pandemic hit. But, you know, a lot of my training protocols, as you know very well, James, is, is all body weight based. So it's body weight based. You don't need a lot of space, not a, not a lot of room. So, you know, in in essence, the pandemic kind of, uh, I think, opened people's eyes to a lot of my training protocols because couldn't go to the gym, couldn't get equipment. So um, we were able to, you know, push a lot of my training out there to people that were introduced to it for the first time and uh, did very well. And so pandemic was interesting because we had to learn how to be a little more versatile with a lot of stuff. People, even if you couldn't get equipment, there was a limited supply of it, et cetera. So I think inherently people were kind of taking back a lot of their um, their power. They saw how how vulnerable they were as far as training and and, and overall health and wellness um, into COVID. But I think as we come out of COVID, a lot of people. That's why I think I'm noticing now post COVID, there's a lot more focus on wellness, mental health, um, recovery. You know, just just feeling healthy. I think less of it is before we went and everyone wanted to like, train as hard as you possibly could you know, get smashed, et cetera. But now people are more cognizant of, hey, I want to feel better. And I also want to be do something that's sustainable, that I can do on my own. And, and uh, even if I'm traveling or if I am uh, I don't have you know, access to any type of um, gym resources.
0: Did the Center app do well during that time?
1: Yeah, it did very well. Um, you know, most recently, they, they um, got acquired by uh, Private Equity Group, uh, the Jeff Best brothers' company, but that... It was great i mean it was a great run uh they're still going they're going in down more of a trajectory of like equipment and that sort of a thing and, and supporting that but um you know i always wish the best to everyone over there on center and, and they're they're great people and and it was it was fun you know we uh we developed a lot of things together and it was good for everybody so um yeah i, w- I wish them nothing but the best
0: i just watched uh limitless with chris hemsworth and i don't know if you've seen it yet but i was i was amazed ross Edgeley is someone i want to get on the show that guy's a, a just a mad scientist with his own body um but the one that really blew me away to be honest was uh episode six and it was about mortality aging and death and i don't know if you saw that one but i was i was truly moved like i i, I watched most of it one night went to bed had super weird dreams probably because of the way my mind was finished it off in the morning and it was just like this is a conversation that we never have, like the acceptance of aging, the beauty of being these certain ages, and this even this this death meditation that this uh, death doula had, which I've never heard of that either. But I thought he did a phenomenal job with that series. I really did.
1: It was all real too. I mean, I think everyone has their own uh, experience with it. And Chris, you know, he did a great job on that on that doc. And uh, you know, Ross Ross is just a weapon. That guy's a freak. So uh, nothing but respect for Ross. And of course, Chris, you know, he always does great, great on camera. He's 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 nice to look at. So.
0: (laughs) Yeah, his bloody hair was perfect. He did like firefighter training and, you know, ice diving, all kinds of stuff. And he still looked like his makeup and hair was done perfectly every time.
1: So it's it's just it's it's upsetting. No, but he 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 does a great job. And and, um, but yeah, as far as the aging process, too, I think all of us as we get older, we're starting to, you know, see that you know we're kind of going down the course and we're no longer at the beginning of the race anymore so um it kind of opens your eyes the perspectives change and things happen which inevitably helps with everybody but i think there's ways to kind of address it the quality of your aging i think that's the thing you can't stop aging but you can you can um enhance the quality of of getting older and a lot of that too is making sure that you're putting in the work to get it done you have to be more consistent as you get older i think consistency has a, a stronger pillar uh when you get older than maybe when you're younger you can get away with you know not not to mean it's consistent with things etc but sometimes inherently it builds bad habits that then you know carry on to when you're when it counts more so
0: what do you see as far as uh you know i mean the athletes that you coach but especially the first responders um with the the shift in the pillars to forge longevity and someone who gets the ass kicked, you know, every third day for 10 20 30 years because for me personally at 49 almost 50 I've shifted really to mobility. I realize now that I've got the motor, I've got about as much strength as I'm going to have. I'm not looking to be super strong, but it's mobility that limits a lot of my strength, a lot of my uh create some um, inefficiencies, therefore fatigue. So with the first responders that you work with, how do you shift the way you view and coach the 40, 50-year-old first responders? Yeah,
1: it's different, right? Because every categorically, the demographic is, is different. If you're dealing with kids that are getting into the academy or young firefighters, and if you, I'm just dealing fire fire specific, uh, or if you're dealing with you know, guys that have been on five, the 5 to 10 guys and the guys that are 10 to 15 and over, so um i noticed you know a lot of them are hard charging still when they're younger they want to lift and, and i think that's great I mean, a lot of the older guys you can still lift but i think incorporating aspects of um cognitive training you know neuro neuro training uh resilience training along with the mobility is is really key because i think what we're seeing is a lot of firefighters are struggling still with the mental health Uh, mental health, that's with law enforcement, with military, et cetera, but but mental health is still a massive issue across the board with everything. Um, And so I think doing our best to make sure that the guys keep the, uh, the the spear sharpened uh, is always the key. As that starts to decline, the guys start to feel it. Also their their perspective and their mindset starts to change and and they start to get hard on themselves. And they're not as resilient when it comes to, you know, PTSD issues or issues with um, things that they experience. Outside of that too, I'm noticing that, you know, guys for a long time, and I'm again talking specifically about fire, but um, their circadian rhythms are all screwed up because they're, you know, your sleep patterns are all, you know, irregular and disrupted. Um, They're exposed to so many carcinogens when you're in fire service. So there's all these things that are, are, they're faced with, right? So I think that's another reason why the firefighter community, um, has really been open to the wellness perspective, putting in protocols in place to, of course, get them uh, in optimal neuro, mental, physical shape, but also overall health and wellness. So they're doing things like, you know, they're doing the saunas, the infrared saunas, they're doing the plunges, they're doing all those things. So um, I think it's key. I think it's long overdue. It's such a The first spot of community, fire, police, military, I mean, they do so much and and they're the unsung heroes, right? They've been doing it for so long and no one's really addressed any aspects of, you know, their training and improving their training and improving their recovery, et cetera. So that's always been my passion, kind of what gets me up in the morning for work to kind of make sure I do things that probably opening eyes, opening the door to to those guys to get the best of the best.
0: I'm optimistically seeing the beginning of a paradigm shift when it comes to the work week that we should have nationally in the first responder profession, especially Southern California, where you're based. I mean, Anaheim was where I was for a few years. You know, their their tempo of running calls is similar to, you know, Florida, where they're basically running all but 24 hours a day. And what we're starting to see here now is a, a realization that the way that we're working people, you know, the, the 56 hour work week, whether it's twenty-four on forty eight off or the 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 California version, which I work one on one off four times and then a four or a six, is just murdering our first responders. And so, yeah. you know, now they're starting to finally see, you know, the the financial cost of that, the overtime, the workman's comp, the you know, the medical retirements, the line of duty deaths, the lawsuits attributed to us not being able to focus properly. And so there's a shift 2472 which is a 42-hour work week. So the same as a civilian even though we're waking up and saving lives for a job. Um that the the kind of dominoes are started to fall here now and, and departments are going towards it and therefore other departments are realizing, "Oh, if we don't change the way we do this, there's already a hiring crisis. We're not going to be able to get anyone." Yeah. Because this is a better working environment, and there's more rest and recovery built in to keep their first responders healthier. But I haven't really heard any murmurs in in California. So Anaheim for example, I've always raved about that department, but their schedule is terrible still. So I'm hoping that we'll start to see that shift over to the West Coast instead of this conversation of 4896 which is insanity to actually look at the actual work week and see it shrink which would then have a huge amount of benefits mentally, physically and economically.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's all about changing the culture, right? I mean, here in talking about Anaheim, Anaheim's a department that I'll be working with in 24 more closely uh, with my training recovery protocols. But um, I think the administration of brass are much more open to it now because it's like anything else, the changing in the guards, right? A lot of new chiefs come in, a lot of new perspectives. HR has a different mindset and paradigm. Um, and so everyone's looking at it. I think everyone understands the stress that they have to deal with um but they've never really addressed you, you know how the old school firefighter like for firefighters it's like just suck it up you don't talk about it you just do it you work you're tired you just do it anyway um but i think people are now understanding that 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 actually puts more people at risk um than anything people are like god oh, it's just hard on the firefighter now it's hard it's actually not smart for the community at, that they serve because now you're putting people out there that are not on the top of their game and it's not their fault they just haven't gotten enough sleep or they've been working too many hours or those sort of things so um a lot of it i know is that they're trying to attract the right type of new recruits to come in uh, the guys on the department definitely want to try to stay healthy and be smart with themselves and uh, they're more open to all these new modalities that we have um i think a lot of it is how it's presented right so trying to present it in such a way that they see the benefit and some of the old dogs that have been in there for 20 plus years, you know, they're not really keen on going in and, you know, doing a hard wad at, you know, the train, but you can kind of get them to move mobility work, anything that's going to mitigate injury or pain, pain management, et cetera, uh, or help them sleep better and those kind of things they're very open to. So again, like for us, I think it's a comprehensive approach. You want to make sure that you're providing them, you know, top of the line training protocols, you know, to make sure we push the throttle so that the gas tank is, is, uh, is big, but at the same time, you got to make sure that you can sustain that for a long, a long career in whatever, you know, first responder service you're doing. Um, in order to do that, you have to teach them young. So it's everyone's setting the mindset. teach them young, the old dogs, will try our best to, you know, provide them with the things that they need, but in order to change the culture, you have to start, start at the bottom. So.
0: Absolutely. Well, when you started working with Anaheim and some of the other areas, uh, uh, departments in the area was quite a while ago now. Since then, we've seen uh, an increasing um, recruitment crisis. And I think partly it's because, to be completely honest, people now have access to so much information. They go, Oh, what's it like to be a firefighter? And they see 56 hour work weeks and mandatory overtime. And they're like, Oh, UPS is almost hiring. Uh, I think I'll go there instead. You know, so. We have to change the environment to get these people back lining up outside our doors, um, but I've heard a kind of varying thing. There's the the pool is definitely getting smaller. One of the guests I just had on, um, Rob, he was talking about from the eligibility for military service. I think it was like at entry level for seventeen years old to twenty three. I think I think he said twenty four. Only twenty three percent of that age category is physically able to qualify for military selection so obviously that mirrors then fire and police but i've had people say the ones that we're getting more often than not are you know the ones that are fit are really fit these days and i'm sure it's crossfit and your work and you know spartan races and all these things what are you seeing i mean you've got a you know like a 10 plus year now perspective on on these young recruits that come into fire schools and fire um, departments have you seen any trends at all
1: um you know it's interesting because i what you were talking about how people are as far as the recruitment pool is, is shrinking i think what's happening too is is um you face the issue from the department standpoint looking at it from their perspective that you can't lower the bar right if you lower the bar just so that people can you can get the right cadets in whether it be fire whether it be law enforcement or even in the military you run the risk of the quality of of performance and the quality and character of those that you bring in are not going to be what you require. And so, um, a lot of them now are trying to focus more on academies to prep these kids, the ones that are ready and ready to go, because what happens is going into an academy, these kids are not prepped at all. They may have, you know, their educational components pieced out, but mentally, um, They really don't understand the importance of resilience. They don't understand the importance of what's expected of them and what it's about. So, um, over the course of the last 10 years, I know that I've seen more of the focus shifting into the younger ones, the academy, because I think they always find that it's a struggle to bring the guys that have been on 10 plus years to have them turn around and try something new. They tend to want to, as you know, they want to do it themselves. They'll figure it out themselves. They all have a preference, but to change the culture, I think a lot of the departments understand that they got to start from when they get in because look, the pool that they're bringing them in is, and I've seen some of these academy classes, I've gone and participated in some of them. Um, and I just noticed a lot of kids want to be a firefighter, want to be a law enforcement officer. The idea of it is great to them, but they're not mentally prepared. It's usually the mental preparedness is not there. And because, you know, if you're not physically ready for it, then you weren't mentally prepared because mentally prepared is getting yourself a physical condition in order to do your very best um and i i think it's frustrating for a lot of the departments um but i also see that there's a differential so like what happens is there's a lot that are super fit right and the ones that are not there's not that middle there used to be kind of a you had the ones that are shouldn't be there the ones that kind of maybe can make it and the ones that are just weapons that are you know were, were born to do it you still have the born to do it and the ones can't make it but the middle ground there's not a lot Because they just, if it gets too challenging, that's the concern that I have. And I've talked to a lot of my friends about it, uh, not even just in 1st spawner community, but the generation, the younger generation, and and trying to build resilience, right? They all have, um, they have motivation, they have drive. Um, A lot of them have discipline, but they don't have consistency and they don't have resilience. So it's one thing they're like, I'll show up every day, I'll do the work. But if they fall down and they fail, it's very hard to get them back up to go after again and as you know in the first responder genre that's just an everyday thing you just gonna you're gonna you're gonna fuck up a lot and if you do you got to make sure you cover your ass and get your ass back up you get your ass chewed out go take it personal you gotta suck it up you gotta go and you gotta do what you gotta do and so i think that's the concerning thing and it's a challenge that it hasn't gone away if anything it's become more Prevalent with all the departments across the country that I work with is the guys like, gosh, we just got to find the right, the right young ones. The young ones will bring them up and they can lead. But they're looking really now for leaders, right? Because they need someone to kind of lead the charge because they can't babysit, babysit the officers or the firefighters on a daily basis. So um, hopefully, if we start to continue to not only educate them on a, you know, from the from the start. And also um, teach them the importance consistency and resilience. Hopefully, we'll start to consistently see the turn. But we haven't I, I've, I still haven't seen a significant turn on the quarter. It's just kind of going down that road where everyone's like, "How do we do it?" But you know, it's, 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 a, it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge.
0: When you were talking about getting knocked down, when I went to Anaheim from Florida, I was taught the East Coast way. And in California, when it comes to truck company operations and ladders, it is night and day. There is no laying the ladder down and yeah. walking it up on an academy. No, you've got to pick that thing up, throw it on your shoulder, get up, move it, carry saws and all kinds of stuff. Okay. And so my learning curve was like that, but it was like that, but it was actually like this, you know, and it's, it's exactly that. You've got to have the resilience because you are going to get chewed out. And when you're jack of all trades, master of none. Even when you got 30 years on, you're still going to screw up on the fire ground. You know, I know I only had 14 and I, I did constantly. Now you learn from it and you try not to do it again. But yeah, it's interesting you say resilience because it's absolutely right. You've got to have the humility, firstly, for preparation. I mean, I did all kinds of stuff before, you know, when I was in the academy and then through all my departments, but also understand that you're just going to get shit wrong. And sometimes you're going to get it right. And some instructor who's a fucking idiot told you the wrong way. And you yeah. did it the way they said, and then you get chewed out. For, you know what I mean? So you can't have that that kind of fragile, um, paper thin um, skin either. You've got to have that resilience. So it's interesting the way you say that. You know, the more stress of a a generation, the more they could take stuff on the chin. And it doesn't mean that there aren't some incredibly tough, resilient people of this younger generation. But we've just birthed them into this super super comfortable environment. And in one way, that's a detriment, especially if they're looking to work in uniform.
1: Yeah, I think it's you know it, what we have to try to do is 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 kind of hold their hand through teaching them how the process is. I think that's the thing. I don't think that it's that you know, people ask are they all weak? They're not weak. They just haven't been taught what they need to do, um, and that's why I'm always preaching so much when I when I talk to these academies about discipline. It starts with discipline, right? Most of these kids have a purpose. If you don't have a purpose to be a first responder you're going to struggle because there's going to be times you're like, why the hell am I doing this? And then you'll end up falling off. So you have to have the purpose. That's that GPS we always talk about, but teaching these kids discipline on doing it on a daily basis and sustaining that over time with consistency helps to kind of give them at least an anchor or a foundation for that resilience. I mean, inherently that's why people have fallen in love with plunging, right? One of the, the issue with cold plunge that people do, and I've worked with plunge for so long now, but um, it's not fun. Right. You don't want to do it. But unfortunately, most people just do what they want to do before they do what they have to do. So it's always want-tos before for have-to's. And and unfortunately, that's just not a recipe for success. That's a recipe for failure. So changing that perspective and paradigm has been a challenge within, you know, not only the first one community, but across the board. So you know, when I speak to the different chiefs um, about what would be the key to it, should we get the guys in better condition? Should we do just better training? Yes, all above, you know, but how do you change attitude? You have to change attitude by teaching resilience and teaching them that they can overcome things they don't want to do, teach them to get back up after they fail. And those are things that are, that you need to teach, right? You can't just like, oh, they'll learn it through the process. They won't because they, you know, precipitate about it or they think about it and they, they process it incorrectly, and then you find out now they have incorrect processing about challenges or failure, and that causes issues down the road. So I always, I'm a huge proponent that I think what we need to do is try to focus on teaching these kids uh, and putting them in situations that are uncomfortable, putting them in situations of failure so that they can overcome it. Because if we don't, when they're out there and they feel for real, you haven't taught them how to recover from that, right? You teach them how to succeed. We, we celebrate success, we celebrate doing it right, but we never celebrate the fact of teaching those how to do something when you fail or you do it incorrectly. And I think that has there has to be enough time spent on that because if you don't, then what do you expect when they when they process incorrectly or they do something wrong. So I think if I had to change one thing, that's one thing I would try to preach to to the, the chiefs across the, across the country.
0: Well, speaking of doing things you don't want to do, I trained with you in Irvine a few years ago. Yeah. And uh it was up, dude. I couldn't walk for days after that. Just I mean, all the the you know plyometrics that we were doing and all the groundwork. So and it was it was amazing. It was amazing. And then when I see you do the RFT stuff, um it's so pertinent to what we do, especially when we are in a burn building. Like we're not taught to crawl, you know, we're not taught to be able to breathe while we crawl. Like I see a lot of these guys. On Instagram, and they'll be in there, what we call a class B's, you know, with the little leather helmet, everyone makes sure that you know you're a firefighter, and they're doing their duck walk, spinning the hose, and okay, that's great, that was 20 seconds of video, but now put all your shit on, and now climb, you know, 10 flights of stairs yeah. first, and then yeah. put it on air and then go do your little spinny, spinny hose drill. You know what I mean? This is, It drives me crazy because it's for the gram. But the reality is before we even get to the fire floor and do the work, like we're at my last place, which didn't see much fire, we had a 28-story hotel right next to my station. So if the elevators right. are out. That's 28 floors you might have to climb with 100 pounds of gear, which is a high-rise strip, before you even do anything. So... The importance of, you know, all the things that you teach and just understanding that we are tactical athletes, you can't just fob it off like they used to some of the the complacent people in that department, like, oh, we'll just take the elevator. Well, I think a few weeks after I left, they had a call in one of the hotels at Disney and, and I forget which one it was, but it was multiple floors and the elevators were out and it was a high angle rescue. So they had to climb with all their rope gear, you know, multiple flights of stairs. And there's probably someone or a couple of people that never even made it to the top, if I'm being completely honest. So talk to me about the evolution since, you know, I train with you. And then obviously what I've seen you do with Anaheim, let's say six years ago when we did our conversation, what has been the evolution on the, the strength and conditioning physical side? And then you also talked about recovery protocols So, talk to me how that's evolved as well.
1: Well, I think for RFT, everyone asks me what's the difference in, in the differentiating quality. People a lot of see my training, my raw functional training stuff. And they say, oh, is that like animal flow or is it some kind of like body weight movement but it's all kind of based in the genesis of it is all on sequencing and sequencing of movement. So we strategic you know for me anyways I I program the sequencing models based upon a variety of different things planes of motion since we're not adding load to the equation, you know we'll add you know a variety of planes of motion right you know, speed intensity, tempo, uh in a variety of different things so for example if i'm having someone do a progression and they're having to remember five movements or seven movements or nine movements progressively through it it's very challenging but that's inherently more practical from a functional perspective what we're finding with a lot of the uh firefighters or law enforcement officers or military because you have to think while you're moving you have to be aware of how your body's moving you have to know what the movement is next you can't just go and autopilot None of my training ever has focused on being on autopilot. I don't think there's anything wrong with that for like a long distance run or something to kind of escape and just move through something. But from a tactical perspective, you need to be present. In order to be present, you have to be thinking the whole entire time. How do I move? How many reps do I do? What's the next movement? What do I have to do? There has to be a procedural procedural protocol processing that has to go into place. So that stays consistent with all my RFT of what I've done. But what I, you know, I use a lot of the recovery modalities. Specifically, I've been using cold water immersion a lot, right? So I know a lot of people have seen um, guys like Huberman and Brecca talk about the recovery aspects. And I think it's phenomenal that people utilize it for, you know, the dopamine release and all the advantages, the you know, inf- inflammatory reduction, the cortisol reductions, all these things um, that are really helping people from an overall wellness perspective. But from a tactical resilience perspective, I usually keep my guys in a little bit longer because what I'm trying to do is when I when they get out, you get that involuntary somatic motor response, which is that shaking, and you only get it for a little bit of time. You'll maybe like six minutes. You Usually get it half the time you're in there. So if I have a guy in there for 12, I have like six minutes of magic. So during that time, I usually try to focus on having them execute specific tasks or remember certain things because, you know, from from the mind body perspective, without nerding out too much, you know, your mind's trying to remember, like it's just trying to get warm. It's like we got to get warm. We got to get warm, but it's one of the only times that involuntarily you, your mind and body are trying to do something else. But if I put them a set task to do, whether that be a cognitive puzzle or whether that be maintaining crypt reception and balance, maintaining their vestibular control, maintaining whatever the case may be, it's a challenge. But doing that on a consistent basis builds that resilience where your mind and body and understand, like, listen, even when I'm cold and I'm shaking, I can think. And that's the scariest thing for me. And I've talked to this so many times with firefighters, police officers, is being in a situation, for example, with jujitsu. And I remember um, Henner and Hiron were talking about it one time and their dad even talked about it, is the scariest thing for a police officer is being tired and someone's on top of you and you can't get them off, right? The scariest thing for a firefighter is being in a situation of fire and you can't remember what to do, right? And you're out of shape and you can't get out, you're too tired. And that is the scariest thing for anybody. And so for me, that resonated so deeply that I not only wanted to train them to get conditioned from a conditioning perspective, but you got to teach them the techniques to get out. Right. But outside of that, you have to kind of what feeds those techniques to execute those techniques or all the processing that goes into play, managing all your energy systems within your body, organizing your nervous system, managing your adrenal system. And those are things that I try to focus on when we do the training. So a lot of the training modalities now utilize um, different aspects. We do breath work stuff, um, cold water immersion. There's always an evolution in the training, you're always learning and adding new things to the arsenal. But I think the foundation and, and the baseline of everything still remains the same, which is we need to train the things that guys do. I like to train failure. I like to train guys that are, you know, doing things when the body's telling you to do one thing, try to do something else. But I, the thing that happens with it a lot of times, guys will power through a situation as you know, James, with this, I do it. I still do it sometimes. You're like, listen, you're frustrated. You don't know what's going on. So you just use power to try to power out. But sometimes you need to focus on thinking first before you do anything. But it's very, very hard unless you do it on a consistent basis. So a lot of my training is, you know, a lot of one of the reasons why, why does it always bodyweight? I do weight training. I do we do it all the time. I still do weight training. And I didn't get to 256 just, you know, doing bodyweight. But um, The great thing why I always consistently do RFT is that I can do it on a daily basis. In order to do anything, especially with neurofunction, it's consistency is key. Repetition is key. So it's one of the only ways that you can practice sequencing, you know, taxing out your your adrenal system, uh, but keeping your nervous system in check and thinking and cognitively functioning at a high level while you're training. Right. And it's physically challenging, but at the same time, mentally, it's keeping you present. And, and that's one of the reasons why I love RFT. I think that's why it's been kind of embraced by so many departments uh, in different genres across the country is because you can do it every day and you don't need a lot of equipment. You can do it in the, in between calls. You can do it um, at the firehouses, et cetera. But definitely the recovery protocols, resilience protocols are probably the new chapters in the book that are being interwoven into um, the curriculum. So uh it's been fun man i'm always i'm always learning i'm always getting new stuff to try to add to it if if i could be labbing all day and doing research i would but uh it's it's definitely fun
0: well it's an interesting uh concept that you're talking about with the you know basically the uh extreme discomfort and, and stress and then the cognitive functions because they talk about obviously the more stressed we are the less ability we have for fine motor skills so for example, Trucker, which you know, you know, the little boy that that passed of cancer. Um, uh, he when he when he passed, I put together a scenario in this twenty-eight story apartment complex, and I called it Trucker's Tower. And and Joshua and um those guys, obviously, I, I sent them the video of it. And the point was, hundred pounds on our back, twenty-eight floors up. Then we did a bunch of firefighter tasks, and then you pull this person out, and then you have to intubate. Now you've got the fine motor skills conversely, we had in that last department, we were going to be doing high-rise training and they were going to do it on the ground floor. And I was like, you know, question, how are we simulating the high-rise part? Oh, well, we'll just walk around the building a couple of times first. So this is a big disconnect. So I love the fact that, you know, aside from throwing hundred pounds on your back and going up 28 floors, you can use the um, cold immersion to create stress and then Get people to kind of start lasering in on, uh, i not willing is the right word, is it? But refocusing so that you're able to do some of these tasks. So, God forbid you are under a 200 pound felon or, you know, stuck in a fire and trying to figure out where the hell the door was, that you can take some breaths, you can refocus, you can widen those blinkers again and hopefully get yourself out.
1: No, agreed, agreed. I agree. I agree. I think that, you know, we find our, a lot of the, uh, you know, the departments, the HR understands that now they, they, they're always looking at it from, uh, from the standpoint of risk, of, you know, they're risk averse, right? So they're like, ah, oh, we don't want them to train like that because they can get hurt. Guys when will claim work. It's comp issue on this training exercise. We don't want to do it. So for me, it's always about lowering the bar. Like what else can we utilize that's quick? And also it has to be something, there's nothing like cold water immersion because I only need you in there for 10 minutes, right? 12 minutes and, and I can um, create that stress within the body. And the great thing about it is, you know, most people will get out of the cold plunge and they're trying to find ways to warm out and relax. Breath work to kind of relax the system, relax the nervous system. They're doing things to kind of just kind of help regulate themselves through it. But the thing is, with first responders, we they don't have that opportunity. You know, you got to go. You got to be able to be tip the sphere and react, react, react at a very quick, quick pace when you're under stress. So it's very hard to simulate that unless I put guys, like you said, we're going to climb these 10, 10 floors uh, with a 100 pound ruck and see how you guys do it. It's, it's not always possible. You can't always do that. It's a lot of stress and there's a lot of, you know, issue for risk of injury, etc., So for me to be able to do something or put them in in a cold plunge for 10 to 12 minutes and get them out and then have them execute and remember and cognitively think and and find motor skills, you know, and, and focus on your balance and all these different things, it's amazing because I can do it quickly and I can do it safely, right? So at the end of the day, I think for all of us to be more functional, and I've said this so many times before, functional training is still not understood. And people don't still don't understand. They still think it's like battle ropes, flipping tires. That's functional, right? But functional is like it's all it's all predicated on what your function is. If you're a firefighter, great. If you're an accountant, that's different functionality. Like what do you want to try to accomplish? What do you want to try to do? So I think for a first responder community is that for fire specific, you need to make sure that you're prepared and ready to go at a moment's notice be able to react and get everything in line. Whether you have to remember, you know, a hose protocol, a ladder protocol, you have to reach protocol, whatever you have to remember, you need to know how to do it when you're tired. You need to be thinking about five or six different things at the same time you're executing it. And the only way to simulate that, for me anyways, that's been successful is taking guys through movement protocols that they have to remember six movements while they go through. And within each one of those movements, there's different variations. Tempos could be variants. There could be a tempo variance. There could be a rep variance. There could be a plane of motion variance. Whatever the variance is, they have to remember a lot of different things. But if you train like that every single day, then inherently you're going to get stronger when you have to execute those tasks on the job on different calls. So um, I love doing it. I love teaching the guys all that stuff. But I'm finding a lot more departments are are open and excited about, you know, kind of bringing that protocol in
0: there's a phrase if a tree f- fell in the woods and no one saw it did it really fall and i feel like that's been applied now to ice baths you know if you took an ice bath and you didn't film it and put it on instagram did it really happen because all i see on my feet now are these and it's this one upmanship now someone's you know chipping through four inches of ice to get in their cold punch and there's none of the gasp reflex you know they're always just like this doesn't even bother me
1: it's, bro, it's always the case and, and so i mean for me i'm always looking at a different thing i mean but people usually get in the ice bath and the focus is, is when they get out, okay, they did they did, they did, did the task and now they get out and like, let's try to warm out. Let me try to regulate the body to feel better. I got my dopamine release in the first 90 seconds. I'm good, I'm feeling great. And that's beautiful. I think it's phenomenal. But for me to execute from a tactical functional perspective, I gotta get you to the point where you get out and don't let you warm out. Don't let you do breath work. Don't let you do any type of, you know, regulation and let's see how you perform once once that motor response starts to kick in and when that kicks in then i know okay now we're going to do this is i'm going to tell you right now this this is the six things we're going to accomplish right now while you're maintaining balance and we're going to get it go and they're just it's the you see the struggle because all they can think about is i'm cold i'm cold and until they can get warmed out which will happen you know uh in like 10-15 you know, minutes is that they see that they need to be able to key in and focus in and for me, in order to replicate that of on-the-job stress, it's very hard, right, without putting guys in, in, in a bad situation. So it's fun, man. It's it's fun to see the guys because you see the guys that need to work on a few things and you'll see the, the weapons that are like, no matter how cool they are, they will execute the task.
0: When I think of the videos I've seen with you at Northnet, with Anaheim and whoever the other departments were, um, it's not blocks of ice floating there. You're not cracking the top. And there seems to be, you know, a range of, of therapeutic dose from the temperatures. Now, if you're in for 12 minutes, what is the temperature range that you're trying to get these firefighters in, in the water?
1: You know, it all, it all depends. I mean, I think for me, I mean, everyone will talk about plunging is, is cold water immersions all per a personal basis. You know, if you're at 50 degrees, you're fine. But it's, if you're at 45, you're fine. I think it's all based upon what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do. When you deal with the firefighters, it's so much of this, they're so competitive and so one-up, one-up. So if a firefighter goes in and it's at 39 degrees, then the next guy that goes in will grab a a bucket of ice and throw it in and go, let me get in, I'll get in now. It's this whole thing. Then the guy that just went in wants to go in. It's that whole thing. So if anything, you have to manage them, try to go too extreme. But I think as long as you're, you know, for me, I keep it at 39. Um, But for me, that's what works for me. You know, I think for the resilience stuff, I think you need to be in the low forties at least for recovery. And if you're just going in for a daily plunge for kind of overall wellness, I mean, go with whatever temperature. I think they've said now, the studies have said like 50 degrees and under you're okay. Um, but for me, for the resilience, cause at 50 degrees, you get out, that that warm out isn't really bad. It's kind of just like you're cold, but you're, you're okay. I need to get them cold because I need to be able to get them out and see when the body's trying to warm itself out is when I can teach them some of the execute, some of the tasks. Um, But it's interesting, man, because when you do that, these guys later on, they're strong. They go, man, we were on a call. Like, you know, it was, uh, there was a million things going on, but they were able to focus. So I just want to keep them safe. I mean, efficiency is key, but safety is even more important. I want to make sure these guys stay safe and uh, they can execute their, uh, their assignments on the highest level of efficiency in order to do that we got to train to do it that way.
0: we just staying on the uh uniform personnel. I'd say probably the unsung heroes of first response are the lifeguards, you know, especially Hawaii, California, New Jersey. Um so uh what are you doing differently with that population cuz I know you work closely with them as well. You
1: know, it's interesting with fire with uh with lifeguards it's much more about um them being able to think while they're in the water. You know, when they're on the land, it's it's uh, they have that down. All the sand work we used to do and all that 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 sort of thing. But they have their I a lot of vestibular work is is probably what I focus on most with lifeguards, and that's just that inner balance because that vertigo is something that's scary. When you're in water and choppy water, if you lose your kind of your way and you get that vertigo kick in, it could be very dangerous. You can get taken out. Things are happening at a very fast click. Um So. You know, for like, for example, firefighters, I do a lot of proprioceptive work, a lot of balance training. But for lifeguards, we do a lot of vestibular work. So, I'll do different training protocols in the water, on the sand, uh, but simulating them. You know, simulating that vertigo, and again, being able to see if they can execute while that vertigo is activated. Um, so, yeah, a lot of guys are making, We're just trying to make us feel like shit, man, and then just fucking kick our ass out. I go, no, nah, it's not bad. We're just trying to see. <laughs> We're just trying to simulate some stuff.
0: So when uh, when we spoke last, I remember there was one I forget that was it XT. It was the Kevlar, you know, war balls and all those. Um, you seem to constantly be diving into new technology. What are some of the things the last, you know, let's say two or three years that really excite you?
1: Um, gosh, there's been some recent things I, recently in regards to training training uh, equipment that's come out that i I've, I've talked and met with some of these different companies. That I thought were very interesting. Um, I'm working with a company called Aon right now, which they do fractional loading, so it's like micro fractional loading of of weight uh, weight vests. So it's very comfortable. It's not heavy, where in a sense it's like super super heavy, but it's just just enough where you're carrying around the whole entire day. It's great for regulation, as you know. I work a lot with the you know with kids and the, uh, the children's hospitals and the autism community, so. Sensory processing and regulation is such a massive issue that we all struggle with. So outside of just the physiological benefits, the neuro benefits are huge. So that's been something I've been playing with. I, I uh, joined their their team uh, with Aon. Um, there's another company, too, that I just got introduced called Catalyst, which is fascinating. Catalyst, it's like the uh, electro- it's the EMSS stem, electromagnetic stem, but it's a customized suit. So you can do body weight movements and they can stimulate healthy tissue while you're moving. So it's literally like the EMS works while you're doing body weight, which is great for me because that's what I do. So there's always new technologies that are that are coming out. I mean, there's a lot of traditional equipment that I have. I'm mean, going to have a ton of equipment um, at my at my place that I use, but um, you know, and then also with Five Eleven Tactical, I, I'm I'm with Five Eleven, so we're doing a lot of exciting things there um, with new equipment. And ta- that's more from a tactical perspective, but um yeah for me i've seen a lot lot more of the equipment that i've been working with is a lot more focused on resilience and recovery outside of just trying to you know lift heavier weight and that sort of thing so not that there's anything wrong with that i think that's good there's a there's definitely need for strength training still and all those aspects but i think what we're trying to show people is how do we get guys to be consistent if you're going to do weight training heavy can you do it consistently you know without injury it, it's for me everything comes back If it's just one if there was a massive pillar i'm sitting on always it's consistency so it's like if you're going to lift heavy you're going to a lot of weight be consistent with it if you're cardio be consistent with it you're going to run run consistently right so i think that's what i want to teach if that's like a legacy that i could try to carry on even with my kids or with anyone i work with is be consistent if you're going to do it just do don't do it sparingly or sporadically do it consistently so in order to do that you know for me sometimes it's changing different modalities and, and teaching people different things but um yeah there's a lot of fun stuff coming up brother there's a lot of new new equipment coming out soon
0: well you said 511 they've been my ride or die sponsor for a long time we we kind of took a pause 2023 is obviously rough financially for a lot of companies post-covid and i believe they're coming back on again beginning of the year but i mean i literally went all these trips around the world every single time my 5.11 backpack and suitcase came with me, the kind of roll-on tactical one that they have. Um, I wear their clothes. I'm wearing their shorts. Actually, 5.11, there you go. wearing it right now. Um, so, you know, I swear by them. I think they're amazing. I've got, you know, some of their exercise equipment, the sandbags too. So talk to me about, you know, what is coming when it comes to the fusion with 5.11 and what you're doing.
1: Eric, Eric Katzenberg, VP, those guys would love you, brother. They're, they they would <laughs> love 5.11, right or die. No, there's a lot, of, I think they're trying to redefine, even them, they're trying to redefine um, what tactical is. So a lot of tactics, you know, people for a long time just associate being tactical as like, you've been an operator, right? Firearm training, weapons training, um, you know, whether it's, far- whatever the case may be, a lot of it is just understanding and redefining tactical because there's people that aren't necessarily a first spot in community that want to be tactical. How do you do that? You know, their they're mantra is always be ready. Um, just like they love my mantra, I've always can, always be ready. Um, but there's some new equipment coming out. We're doing some new protocols um, that they want me to design. So I'm designing new training protocols with their kettlebells, their weight vests, their uh, sandbags, and a variety of different things. I think they want people to understand how to use it. And again, on a consistent basis, consistency is key. So I think that's been the agenda for them. Um, we're in the process of designing, I'm getting my own shoe, which is gonna be awesome. Um, so we're designing a shoe with 511 uh, in the works right now, um, but yeah, a lot of fun things. I mean, 511 is exploding. It's kind of like the Nike of the first responder space, right? It's like kind of our our brand that everyone loves and, and uh, knows about. So um, I'm very close with with the team over there, but there's a lot of new training protocols that are going to be coming out that they want to explore. Also, going into stuff where we work with not only different genres of first responders, but also you know, hunting, fishing, all the other stuff, the outdoor stuff that they do, how do we become better at it, right? How do we become more, um, effective at it? And and again, a lot of that is teaching guys just new protocols that they can do when they're out, when they're outside. And most of the guys that wear 5.11 stuff will also train outdoors. So a lot of the training that we're going to be doing is outdoor training, utilizing, because their equipment is legit. You know, their sandbags or kettlebells, their kettle sandbags, Uh, everything is legit, but, um, Yeah, some exciting new things coming for
0: twenty four for sure. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, even their stuff for the civilian side, their jeans and you know some of the other things, the shoes. For me, it's like I I did Muay Thai for a long time, you know, as a weekend warrior, not a firefighter. Um, and then jujitsu and strength training, and you're a firefighter and you're a paramedic, but if you're wearing shitty clothes, can you actually? You know, rescue when you're off duty. So I'm not thinking like a re- you know rescue Randy. I'm not wearing freaking BDU's everywhere I go. But you know, if someone attacks my child or my wife, am I wearing stuff that allow me to to you know to fight the way I want to fight or run or whatever it is that we've got to do? So mm-hmm. what I found with their stuff is, you know, of course it's not you know a high street um fashion store. So depending on what you're looking for, but for basic jeans and shirts and t-shirts and hoodies it's just, it's good. I mean, I'm wearing stuff that they gave me when I first, you know, was sponsored by them four plus years ago. And and it's just, you know, I've never had an issue where I'm like, oh man, these boots are too heavy or I can't climb this fence because of these jeans. You know, if, if I'm suddenly spontaneously start playing with my kids, I don't have to think about changing first. And I think that's a real, really important thing because most streetwear isn't.
1: It's funny though, James, I like, um, they're like, I went into one of the retail stores and do they have everything? Jackets, hoodies shirts sweaters training gear equipment i mean everything flashlights knives everything dude bags it's everything you can think of they have there so um and it's all designed under the office of like trying to be tactical and have everything ready so i think um yeah i I definitely i'm a huge i mean i'm a 511 guy so i will always wear the flag but um yeah, there's some exciting things coming in for twenty four. It's gonna be it's gonna be a big year for them.
0: Brilliant. Well, another thing that I haven't actually tried yet. We've just got one in the gym. My my gym owner bought one, but I know I need it. Um, but I wanted to get your perspective because I saw you doing some some work with it. Talk to me about the Iron Neck through your eyes.
1: Oh man, the Iron Neck's great. Um, I know those guys really well. Um and dude, I use that Iron Neck every day. It's been fun, man, because like, you know, like for me, I always thought I had a pretty strong neck, but when I first started utilizing the iron neck, I was like, man, it's not as strong as I thought it was because, you know, inherently like with neck training, you are just doing kind of this motion. You're never really doing that 360 degree turn. You're not to turn left to right, 180 degree turns, 360 turns, all these things that you're doing. And when I started doing it consistently on a consistent basis, man, it made a massive difference, massive difference. And it's the great thing about it is because I have so many things I'm doing during my training protocols, it has to be quick. I can't be doing that for 40 minutes, but you know, 10, 15 minutes of iron neck a day. It's dude, it's massive. I initially heard about them through Rogan and then I went and then I met them and then they participated in some of the fire events that we had. Fire guys love them. Um, But yeah, it's the product. They're 3.0. Their new 3.0 iron neck is fucking amazing. Dude, that thing, I I use it all the time. Just, I'm running out of band. So I use, I just, you know, me, I always keep, I just keep doing it daily. So my neck keeps getting stronger, but, um, but outside of that, yeah, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. I love it.
0: I got to connect with them because when I look at it, obviously jujitsu, you know, no brainer, but also the tactical space, we're all wearing helmets and everything from firefighters to pilots. We're all getting this torque on our neck. Um, so to me, it seems like it would be a, a phenomenal match.
1: I'll, uh, I'll put you in touch with, uh, with the owner and, uh, and you can, he'll love, I'm sure he'll love to be on because they, dude, they're working on some fun stuff and they're training, that training curriculum they have to support a lot of the Iron stuff is incredible. They have a lot of great guys involved in that. Um, but yeah, i I'm sure they'd love to be on your podcast, bro.
0: Beautiful. Well, one person I know we've tried to connect and I'm sure it will happen eventually, but Jason Wilson um talk to me about about him
1: what a legend dude i loved his new book is amazing i read his book such a great book such a great person just that that he's just he's all hard and uh everything he's doing over there at the cave and that he does um it was interesting because i finally got a chance to connect with him face to face i've been you know corresponding with him for so long um over the phone and through message and email um, but he's in Philly, like he's over there where when I went over to see the Detroit Tigers and when, when um, my buddy Mike Lorenzo was pitching for the Tigers and we went to see him and all of you, know, all of this guy got a chance to meet all his kids. We took him to one of the, the tiger games. Dude, what a great, he's just, a, he's just a great person. So he has an amazing story an amazing perspective. Um, and you know, he, he helps you be a better, better person. And, uh, one of the very few guys I know that I would, bro, I would look to him for guidance on on a ton of things just because he's just he's great. He's he's definitely a blessed guy. And he's he's his uh, ability to articulate kind of ways in which to, you know, deal with stress, loss, anxiety. Um, he's just amazing. So, yeah, definitely. Jason Wilson. Did you connect
0: with Jay? I, we, we did. And then it kind of fell off. So we kind of need to, to, to try again.
1: Yeah, I'll get him. On again uh, i gotta call him. he's been he started plunging we got him a plunge so he's been plunging so he got when i saw he's like look i did it i was like right that's my guy so yeah we definitely jay wilson is is uh yeah you gotta get out it. it's a special story with that guy he will uh he will reach so many people man he'll be reached so many people because he's, he does so many great things
0: well i think what really moved me about the video that I initially saw, which was one of, I think it was, was his son or one of the students? I think it was his son, but he was, I think, trying to break a board and couldn't. And then the way he was talking to him and then he finally did, but the, you know, the underlying element was mentorship, you know? So I don't know at that time what the environment was around his school, if it was, you know, a more desperate neighborhood or not, but I got the impression that it was, but this is the conversation that we need to have over and over and over again. There's so many, people that point fingers and say they and it's us it's not they and to me jason was really you know showing look you can grab a small amount of people in your community and become a mentor and change numerous numerous lives
1: yeah he just they just did this huge rebuild of their building that they own um beautiful and the community that they serve all these kids he really treats them like they're all his boys, you know? And uh, you can feel the love. Now, I got a chance to meet all of them. Just insanely respectful uh, kids, uh, great kids, all of them you could tell have have um, been mentored well through Jason and his team. But um, yeah, what an amazing story. You definitely, definitely, I'll help you do everything I can to help get make that happen for
0: you, brother. Beautiful. Well, I want to hit one more area then we'll go to some closing questions again with the same lens we go through a pandemic and i've talked about this many many times we had an absolute captive audience we had the most beautiful opportunity to finally educate the nation or you know in many of these countries on you know what food is on on bolstering local farmers again making organic food on you know putting pe back in schools you know, um, normalizing play, pedestrianizing downtowns, you know, all these different things. And we didn't, you know, we say we, a lot of nations didn't. Some nations, I'm sure, you know, like um, Iceland and Sweden, some of those places were probably already there and didn't even need to. But England, Australia, the US, Canada, you know, arguably we have a much bigger problem and it was a beautiful opportunity and we wasted it. So here we are now in 2023. If you were king for a day, how could we move? How could we shift it back the other way and start improving our nation's physical and mental health?
1: You know, it's hard, brother. I mean, I, I agree with you a million percent. There were so many things that we we missed the ball uh, during, that, during that pandemic that we could have done, right? People were kind of lost for quite a while. They were looking to find a way to address it. But for a short period of time, I think people were able to disconnect. And a lot of people were very uncomfortable being with themselves, you know? If you notice, people didn't like it because they were used to kind of getting lost and having to get lost in things around them. But um, I think, again, um, teaching people more about what, why things are, that's why I think education has been really important. If you notice it, even on social media and stuff, a lot more people are focused on wanting to know how to do things themselves, which is one benefit I've seen, right? But you have to give them the resources in which to do it because people will fall back on whatever's easiest. They'll fall back on comfort, they'll get lazy. And it's hard because unless you have something like when you take something away from somebody, um, as soon as you give it back to them, they just go back to their old habits, right? So I think in some capacity, creating more restrictions on certain things and forcing people to get out there and do more uh, is the most important thing. Um, it's, there's so many different ways we can do that, I'm sure, but uh, probably mo- not for me, not the most politically correct way to do, it, but it's, it's uh, you know, I think it's just important that we get guys, people out there and and, um, and take control of their own health and wellness, and then also make sure that um, don't fall back into the same habits. So I think what we realized during, during the pandemic is a lot of us have very bad habits. And, and they're illustrated, they're highlighted for the first time. So we had to change. But then as soon as it was successful again, it's like addiction. It's like the same thing too, like find, finding people that are like addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, you know, sobriety is important. But the only way you have sobriety, you can take it away. But if you give it back and you give them a li- the access to it again, they're going to fall right back into the same thing. So I think it's a lot of the same principles you would deal with, an, you know, an addict is what we have to address with this. And it's not always going to be the most popular choices, but you have to take away certain things and force people to make that the new norm. To create the new norm, you have to sometimes eliminate different things and, and pull those out of the equation. And, uh, but I think people don't want that. They always want the ability to have do whatever they want. And that's really what our culture is now, right? Do whatever you want. You know, if you don't want to go to work, don't go to work. You don't want to work hard, don't work hard. He'll be fine, you know, Um, and it's just it's it's troubling for me when I see that. So for those in my circle of influence and those that I can control, um, you know, for me, I would never want to be a politician or being in politics. It's just too hard. Like for me, I just try to control my circle of influence. And most of it is just make sure that things that you're addicted to, what are the things you're addicted to? Um, And why are you addicted to them? Because you have to take a little self-evaluation. It's too hard to do it on a mass level because people won't want to be forced to tell them, I'm going to take this away from you. They're like, no, I don't want, it. you know what I mean? You have to really look at it and go, what are you addicted to? Why are you addicted to it? Is it good or bad? Those three things. To clean up your own own life, you know?
0: well that underlines I think the other part of the conversation because I mean you could do a montage of your workouts and then have an overlay of all you got to do is get up at four in the morning and jump in an ice bath and then run you know actually don't run crawl 10 miles and then come back and you know and I it's see. you 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 and you just got to make decisions and it's all about discipline but there's also environment the people a 100 years ago in the US were not acting the way that we're working that we're acting now and they were simply human beings like we are so we got to understand that we got to foster this environment that encourages movement you know better eating etc cetera, etc cetera. and you go to somewhere you know you could name a thousand places on planet earth where they haven't been corrupted in that way and they're still doing what they always did because it's just normal to them well the sad thing is inactivity and fast food being delivered to your door has become normal to us so yes it's, it's ownership but we've also we have a responsibility to change the environment that we're bringing our kids into so their choices to be healthier are easy choices
1: yes yes and I, I think that's that's it. Like parents, parents need to take control. That's the only thing is parents have to take control of what what we're teaching our kids. So again, a lot of it. and that's you know, as a parent, and as you know too, James, as a parent, we we unconsciously pass on our own habits and addictions to our kids because we do them. The kids, our, our kids, watch us doing it. It affects our interaction with our kids and inherently just passes the trade down the line. So the best thing you can do is if you have folks on your circle of influence, which is could be your kids, could be your spouse, could be friends, could be your gym, gen- whatever it is. But whatever your circle of influence is, you need to address it and understand that, you know, we all have we, we love to call them habits, but I like to call them more addictions because it's a lot more potent. You say, what's your ha- I do this as a habit. You do that as an addiction. Right. And people don't like the word addiction because it's in such a negative connotation, but it's the truth. And if you look at it as such, then you start making better habits and better choices because you understand that they're actually addiction. So if you're up getting early, you're addicted to that. Yeah, I am. And that's a good thing. Right. I get up early. That's what I do. I get the better. I do these different things. If I'm drinking alcohol, it's not my habit. I just have two beers after I get off work. That's an addiction. You shouldn't. You sh- it's So I think it's that's the conversation you have to have. With ourselves individually, because it's the only way that we're going to evoke any change. No one in our country wants to be told what to do. Nobody. And it's inherent, you see it because of how people reacted to the COVID, all the restrictions. No one wants to be told. But when you're forced to do it, and the only way they did it was what? Out of fear. People were scared, so they're like, okay, fear, that's how strong fear is. Fears can actually allow you to have people tell you what to do. Which is crazy because. In our culture, people are like, you can't ever tell me what to do unless I'm scared. Okay, if I'm scared, okay, I'll do it. If you have a gun pointed at me, all right, I'll do what you tell me to do, right? And we have to focus that. You don't necessarily always have to be threatened with fear or anything like that. If anything, your fear should be fear of passing on these addictions to your kids. It should be a fear of not living the life you could live. It's fear of being vulnerable because you're not – building strength within you mentally and physically, that's where I think the messaging has to come across because we've seen what happens when we just try to blanket and say, I'm king for a day and say, we're going to do this. No, one's going to listen. Right. You have to get them, evoke them to do it and take it on themselves and take that inventory on. Because one thing is a lot of people do not like to stand on their own. So if you have five friends and three or four of them are doing something, the fifth one will probably come around. Or they'll just fall off the friend list. And that's really what you want to do. Your circle of influence is really important. and uh, But you have to take a real look at your own life and see what you do. And if it's healthy, if it's a positive thing, it's a negative thing. Label it less of a habit. Label it more of an addiction. And then those changes, you'll, you'll make those changes. But until that time, we're always going to have these type of things. So I think that's what, you know, even my boys, my kids, I'm always teaching them, try to teach them good habits, right? So they create an addiction to exercise, an addiction to eating healthy, an addiction to kindness, addiction to thinking about others, addiction to working hard in school, Addictions. to them. These are good addictions that if you do them over time consistently, getting back to that consistency, then what else can we do? That's what we want. And it's going to set you up for more success in life, you know, in relationships and uh, in overall wellness. So I think those are the things that we need to do um, as a culture and a community and as a country.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you for that. Um, all right. Closing questions then. First one, because I don't know if I'd even had them when we talked the first time, it was six years ago. Is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated.
1: Um, you know, I would say James Wilson, J-Dub's book is a man. Uh, is 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 top of the food chain for me. That book was amazing. I actually think I have his book. So yeah, brother, this is the book, Battle Cry. This book was amazing. Uh, Waging and winning the war within. Because I think I, you know when I, I you know there's a lot of books that I'm I love to read. There's a lot of business books and leadership books that you'll find and philosophical books and philosophy and stuff, but at the end of the day is that you know reading and learning is important it's it's important to always be a student but really just like what jason said it's all about the battle within if you don't if you don't take control of your own mental processing your own physical health and you don't take ownership of it you can't expect anyone else to and you can't blame anyone when things happen within your life right so it's um it's interesting to understand that you have the power to change and it sounds so horny and generic, but we have the ability to make the choice. I mean, as you get older, you realize you have a limited amount of time on this earth. Um, and what you do with it is really up to you because if you don't, if you don't care, no one else will care either. Right. And that, and that goes like, no matter how bad your day is, the sun doesn't care. It's going to come up tomorrow and shit moves on. Right. So, you have to embrace it and and experience and embrace every opportunity experience that you have. So as far as book wise, I mean, this was a massive one um, that I've recently just finished reading and, and, um, but yeah, there's, I would just encourage people to go and find when you're reading it, um, have an open mind about what Jason's saying, but um, you know, there's a lot of other books that I would recommend as well in regards to just educating yourself on, on different training uh, for me anyways from a strength conditioning specialist from a someone in my field is is never close yourself off to thinking you know everything you never do never do so um always always learn be humble in, in your in your position and learn as much as you can and and, and be thirsty you know go out there and really be hungry for knowledge and try to try to get you know eat up as much as you can
0: brilliant what about documentaries or movies that you love
1: Oh, wow. Oh, Chris will love this. Uh, yeah. Limitless. <laughs> Chris, the plug for the plug for Big Dog. But yeah, that one was uh, it's a good. One. I mean, there's there's a ton of documentaries, but Chris's one was really good, especially for a lot of guys, because it's kind of cool. You know, Chris is hilarious to begin with, but you got a chance to see a lot of the things you want to do. But that one on mortality was massive, you know. And understand that no matter how strong you think you are, when it gets taken away, you're really vulnerable. You're really vulnerable. And it gets you to appreciate when you're healthy and your things are moving okay um, and approach for that. So you got to prepare for the end, right? You always have to prepare for the end. Live in the now, but prepare for the end. And uh, that's, that's how it is. There's really nothing to talk about the past, the past, the past. You can look back and reflect, reflect on the past, live in the present, and prepare for the end.
0: Absolutely, I know they. Someone quoted recently. Um, well, I think it was a baseball player that, that lived to be quite a you know a old age in the end, and he said, "If I'd known I was going to live as long as I did, I would have taken better care of myself." That was kind of profound.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting, man. We take we we take it for granted, and like for me now, I try to get in the best shape I possibly can um and now it's just a matter of holding it on like right so it's not i'm not trying to get any stronger any faster or any i just try to hold on so it's just consistent wake it up and that's one of the reasons why i got it it sounds funny people are like man you're getting into gardening and, and all these things now. it's just like for me it, the reason why i like gardening is that it's you it's like life you know you start off as a seed you water it you don't see anything it grows but you got to water it every day you're going to check it you gotta do those different things. If you're not doing it's like parenting every day you gotta show up, whether you want it or not, you gotta show up. And when you show up, you gotta do the best you possibly can. And and uh it's the best way to live life because it forces you to live in the moment.
0: Absolutely. Well, we talked about potential guests, so we'll skip that question. And we talked a lot about kind of, you know, recovery, decompression. Is there anything that you've added recently that you do to decompress?
1: Mm, interesting. Um I mean, you know, I do the plunge. Um, I'm doing my, I do my, um, oh, I did Halo too, which is, it's a PEMF therapy it's company, Halo that I've been working with. I try to utilize that and a lot of the red light therapy. Um, I've spent a lot more time on recovery and with my recovery and focusing on it as much as I have. Um, and I've been, I'm very fortunate and blessed to have so many different things. I mean, I have, you have from this company, oxynova I have my own hyperbaric chamber and the whole thing, but the reason I do all these different things that allows me to, um, allows me to perform at a higher level and, and be sharper. Cause what was, I was starting to find is that not mental decline, but you would find it like when I was on calls or meetings or in speaking in front of people, you just struggle with like finding the, the right, the right things to say the right words, you know, you forget things. And as we get older, it all happens. But I noticed that as I start to take care of myself, make sure my supplementation is in, in order, um, and um, my recovery wellness modalities are in order. I at least can, you know, hold on a little longer, right?
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, then, for people listening, where are the best places to find you, your work, and then the five eleven, um, you know, unity that you've got coming up?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it, it's, it hasn't changed in six years, James. I'm not a I'm not a big social media guy, but I'm I'm my uh, my IG handle is da underscore rolk or you just search for rolk there's not many of us so usually uh, I'll, I'll pop on there and but uh yeah follow that's the best way to follow along i don't really have a lot of like on facebook or snapchat i'm not i should be maybe i don't do those things i don't have time for those things so uh um but yeah that's the best way to find out what i'm doing a lot of the stuff will be coming out i'm filming with 511 here in the next couple of weeks um coming up for the new year and yeah, a lot of that exciting stuff, and a lot of my partnerships with different equipment companies, supplement companies, et cetera, will be coming out. So I'm usually pretty vocal on there, invisible on my social media, um, on my Instagram. So definitely
0: check it out. Beautiful. Well, mate, I want to say thank you. It's uh, I know six long years and some interesting things have happened. But again, your, your perspective and what you're doing with our community, I think is invaluable. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time Bro. and coming on again.
1: Sexy weapon, you got it, bro. I'll tell the 5'11 guys you're rocking the 5'11 trip to be so happy.